Christmas, and welcome to the Synergist Podcast, the most man-centered theology podcast on the internet by God's providence. I'm Thomas. And I'm Nick. And in this episode, we're just having a good old time enjoying the Christmas spirit, as well as some spirits. Uh, but <laughs> before we relax and chat a bit, let's talk about our spirited beverages of choice. What are you sipping on, Thomas? So I'm actually sipping on something from a local brewery in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, where I live. Um, it's sort of become my uh, secondary office. It's called Switchyard Brewing. Hmm. Um, so it, it just opened up within the the last year, and so I got a I got a crowler from them, which is a, a 32 ounce um, can growler. They they have a special the first Friday of every month, and this is their black IPA. So Ooh. it's um, yeah yeah it's fantastic. It's a mix between. Um, like a dark beer and an IPA was sort of the best of both worlds. Their description uh, is uh, debittered black malt provides all of the color of a stout without the intense roast flavors. Uh, instead, subtle notes of dark chocolate, coffee, and raisin. So it's like the mix between like a stout and a porter and an IPA with the best of both. Uh, and it is phenomenal. So this is black IPA from Switchyard Brewing in uh, Bloomington, mm-hmm. Indiana. Nice. I just finished a Celebration Fresh Hop IPA, literally just finished, uh, Sierra Nevada. (laughs) It is an awful beer. Uh, It is super bitter without any of the complexity of the bitterness that you usually crave in an IPA. And so to wash that down, uh, people saw the poll I posted on social media. (laughs) I picked up uh, two or three other beers that are probably pretty good. One is from Denmark, and I can't read any of the stuff on it. I picked up something from the brewery, which is a local place here in California. And the one I'm going to open now is called Criminally Bad Elf, a barley wine style ale. And it is Ooh. from uh, uh, Ridgeway Brewing in Oxfordshire. So it's a British wow. take on a barley wine. So let's see if it'll give you a hiss when I open it. There we go. So we'll try this because I'm curious. And we'll, of course, or I will, of course, do a running review throughout the evening with this because... Oh, gosh. That does not smell good at all. All right, well, <laughs> I'm pouring it right now. You're, you're going to have to just drink a lot of really bad beer during this episode. Yeah, well, the things I do for those who love us and Patreon, you know, and all that. <laughs> you know, serving the oh, Lord it sometimes smel- is... it smells like turpentine. What do they call Ooh. beer in the UK? Ooh, that does not smell good. All right, well, I mean, can't let it go to waste, so cheers, <laughs> and the spirit be with you. <laughs> and also with you. All right. All right, I'm going to try this. This is the uh, the Criminally Bad Elf. It is one of those ones I think is always at like BevMo and Total Wine around this time, but I never see anyone buy, and I never bought it. I worked at BevMo for a year, which is basically a huge liquor warehouse Okay. out of uh, undergrad just because I couldn't find a job anywhere else. And I saw this on the shelf during Christmas time, and I just kind of went, huh, that doesn't look very good. And now I'm sniffing it. Ooh. All right, I'm going to take a sip. All right, hold on. That tastes like cough medicine. <laughs> it tastes terrible. like oh, oh, it's oh. it's not there's like this, the thing with barley wines you need you need a bitter kind of finish to kind of wash away that sugar. This is just pure sugar without any oh. Cool. Ugh. I mean, I'm gonna finish. <laughs> I'm gonna finish it, but oh gosh. Oh, oh sounds it's, like a sounds like I I win on the beer contest tonight. Well, so far, but I mean, I've got two over here. I'm look, <laughs> 
<laughs> I got two more. So if I can go like one for four, like the Maple Leafs, I'll be very happy. <laughs> Oof. Oof. All, All right, right. I got to finish. So this, are you so. going to finish that one or are you going to you gonna move on to something else? Well, I'm, I, the Lord says not to waste. So, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to drink this right. cough syrup style barley wine. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Well, man, we have been doing this thing for a whole year now, um, which it's gone by really, really fast. Uh, and I know that it has been a ton of fun for, for us to do, but I'm actually, I'm really pleasantly surprised to see um, how many other people seem to enjoy it. Uh, just a few statistics looking over the, over the year. We've had nearly 18,000 downloads. Um, we have 458 followers on Twitter, 340 followers uh, and likes on Facebook. We've got six patrons who actually give us money every month to help cover the cost of production. And um, beer. And so I think oh, we had a, we had a, what's that? And beer. Like they are paying and, and beer. And they beer. pay for this criminally bad elf. So money well well invested, friends. <laughs> um, so really, I mean, I think we ought to just start by uh, this Christmas episode by giving a huge shout out, a huge thank you to all of our patrons, all of our listeners, um, all of our friends and fans. And since it's Christmas and we're feeling generous, even a huge shout out to our detractors and those who um, have, have picked fights with us. Um, you know, with, it's it's Christmas. And so we'll just say cheers to, to everyone who's interacted with us, but especially to those who have supported us. Cheers to those on iTunes and uh, that gave us a one-star review. God loves you, despite your <laughs> sinful actions. And cheers to the Reformed Pubcast and all the podcasts that I'm pretty sure hate us and they don't listen to us, but God bless them during this time as well, of course. Oh, this beer does not get better. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, it, it, you, you can just move on. Um, well, I already there's... poured it, and I'd be breaking like the twelfth commandment or something like that. Like, just, <laughs> thou shalt not waste bad beer. Although, I wonder to what extent we can exegete our way around the phrase "bad." Yeah, Oof. yeah, that's that's true. I might just put this. One, yeah, I'm putting this one off to the side. It's just nasty. All right, I'm moving on to the next one. All right, continue, Thomas, while I pop this. Alrighty, one. alrighty. So, um, I thought it would be fun. Uh, you know, now that we've done this for about a year, to just look back and, and maybe talk about some of the highlights from the past year, both Ooh, um, personal. <laughs> uh, that sounded good. That was a good. good yeah, that was. Oh, good lord! Did you get some in your eye? No, I almost got some all over my laptop though, <laughs> and it won't hey, actually open. You... There we go. There you go. All right, sorry about that. That's all right. That's all right. Um, so let's let's just look back and talk about some of the highlights, uh, both personally from our personal lives, uh, as well as the the podcast. Maybe if you, um, you know, if you had a favorite episode, you know, talk about that. Mm. Um, so uh, why don't you tell us about the beer you just opened, and and then some of the highlights of the past year for you? Absolutely, yeah. This is the uh, the Denmark beer, Frucht or Fruit beer, uh, alcohol oh, course, content yeah. at eight point one. Of course, you know, obviously, duh. Uh, this is from Belgium, brewed and canned by, I, I, I can pronounce Greek really well, I cannot pronounce this language. Uh, <laughs> what is interesting is imported to the U.S. by Shelton Brothers Incorporated, Belchertown, Massachusetts. So, I mean, well, there, there you go. I guess the English Belcher meaning Town, is... appropriately named for beer, huh? Yeah. One Ton of Christmas is the English translation of it. It is a Berliner Weiss. Style Ooh. ale brewed with cherries, red currants, and prunes. And if you've had sours, like a sour beer, I love it sours. actually it actually tastes like that. 
I, I was I thought it would come in more like more hot and heavy and thick like that criminally bad elf that which the the name is I should have just taken heed at the name. Uh, <laughs> It, it you know because that you know cough syrup and the consistency of cough syrup and stuff like that she's like look but this is clean it's crisp it's actually very fruity and it's got that kind of acidic bitterness that you want with like a good fruit sour ale I'm actually not hating this uh, I still think that uh, if anyone looks at our Facebook or our Twitter it's the one that's really creepy uh, the design yeah. yeah there's a really creepy like Christmas thingy staring up blown out from like the flash of the the camera and they're looking past us and up. Or at least they're looking up at me in horror as I pop the top on this and drink it. But <laughs> I actually recommend this. Uh, this is so I'm going one for three. So I've already hit that you know that average. So I'm doing pretty good. Uh, okay. My my highlight I think for this year personally, and it, it was one of my biggest regrets too, was not being able to be on the episode with Bruxy. Uh, I gave a big old shout out to Bruxy one uh, a few weeks ago, and he was just delightful to chat back and forth but having bruxy on i think it was episode seven or eight i forget exactly but having bruxy on having uh you interview him and just his heart and his ministry and his care for other people and his charity towards people with whom he disagrees was oh just goodness. was just refreshing it kind of like this beer that i'm drinking you know sermon prep analogy <laughs> you know but just his 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 kindness, his, I would say, you know, his tenderness towards people. I'm yeah. sitting there going, like, if, yeah. I, if I were in Canada and I was in the Ontario area, I'd be all over his church. I'd be at that yeah. church. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I think for me, I mean, I was also blown away, of course, by the Matthew Bates episode that we got this epic scholar who wrote this really good book, you know, on our show. <laughs> but I think just listening to Bruxy, I'm just like, every time, it went, it got me to the point where I could go to Bruxy's uh, the Meeting House podcast, which you should all go and subscribe to. I went there and subscribed and discovered just, I can listen to Bruxy for like 24 hours a day. And so I was just, I was yeah. so happy. So that, that that for me was my biggest highlight and my biggest regret that something that I was not able to attend that uh, that interview. But that was for yeah. me a big delight. And how about personally? What what things have, have happened for you in the past year? You know, mm -hmm. highlights. I know you've... Um... You know, you started a new job, and you're working on some books and all that. What's what's been some of your personal highlights? Well, that's a good question. I, I think the two things for me are, one was just getting uh, a job in pastoral ministry. Uh, just yes. that was one thing I never thought I'd get. Um, I didn't even anticipate it during seminary, and the fact that I got it was just a huge blessing. Um, and it's a job that actually is uh, pays a living wage, which I was just blown away by. So I'm just, I'm supremely blessed to be serving at a really just a wonderful church. And if you are in the area, uh, the Inland Empire area, first, the first, ba I'm sorry, I got to say it right. The first Baptist church of Redlands and, uh, Redlands, California, a hop, skip and a jump from San Bernardino and Riverside. So if you're in that area, come check us out. I'm the associate <coughs> pastor there. And it's, it's been just a blast, just learning and stumbling and fumbling my way through that. And, uh, I never thought I'd be here, and by God's grace, I hope to continue to be around and to be enriched by people. I, I've met, actually, uh, Jeff, uh, who is a fan of the podcast and who's chatted with me a ton, and he's actually friends with a few other people I know. Uh, he's down in, uh, oh, I don't want to say the city he's in, but he's down south of the area, but he actually started coming to the church, too, so it was really cool just to meet a guy who had listened to the podcast, who had talked with us, and has ended up at my church, so... That's awesome. Just just goes to show, like you know, six degrees of separation, and you know, <laughs> God will use podcasts to help you, and that's in, yeah. that includes a lot of other things too. So I was I've been blessed by that, especially. That's very cool. That's so great. what about you, babe? While I finish the rest of this 
really awesome. <laughs> now, actually, I just looked at it. I'm sorry to keep going and cut you off. I looked at it. <laughs> it is very strongly fermented, and there's actually pieces floating in it. So this has been sitting Ooh. on the shelf for a long time. Okay. And whoo, I'm actually feeling it. This is good. All right, I might, All right. I might, I might Think- sit back for a bit, so go ahead. I was going to say, things might get a little bit more interesting as, as we keep going if you keep trying drinking these beers. Oh, we're going to get to Die Hard, <laughs> so don't worry about it. We're going to get good. <laughs> um, I think for me, a personal highlight, obviously, um, you know, back in January, I had a, a new baby, so I had a, a son this year. Mazel tov um, again so, to you, of course. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, so, And that's just, you know, it's been exhausting, um, mm. you know, a lot less sleep and all that, but, you know, adding to the family and... and I'm giving my daughter somebody to play with. So that, that, that's probably the biggest highlight for the year um, mm. is that. But then um, in terms of the uh, podcast, it's been cool. I, I actually got to meet somebody locally as well. Oh, um, nice. They actually they listened to Bruxy's episode, um, then, mm. then looked me up um, on Facebook, and we actually have become friends. So uh, his name is Doug. He's come uh, to the church. We've, we've chatted quite a bit. Um, so made a real-life friend over some stuff in the Internet. And then... Uh, Favorite episode? I, I gotta say that the interview with Bruxy um, was a ton of fun. I, I'm with you. He was just delightful, and his—I mean, I—I I just admire um, and, and almost envy his just non-combative. He—he's just—he's just characterized by by compassion and grace, um, even mm-hmm. you know when he's treated unfairly and people who disagree with him, he's just, he's got this quiet confidence that I just love. It's, it's so Christ-like. Mm-hmm. Um, so interviewing him was awesome. Um, interviewing Brian Zond was really cool. Um, and I'm actually, I'm pretty proud of the stuff that, that we produced. Uh, I, think I think we so. have, have put together some good material. I think we've done a good job um, sticking with our, our goal of not, you know, even though we're, you know, we're jokingly anti-Calvinist. We haven't. It's that hasn't been the focus of our ministry. I think we've. I think we've done a good job setting out with our goal, putting together um, a, a positive view of Christian discipleship and, and mm-hmm. helping people see that. Um, you know, f- straight from the scriptures, straight from the Bible, that that faith and and the gospel um, are really more holistic, um, mm-hmm. embodied things than than maybe they've heard. So I, you know, um, and. I, I think you've heard we've we've got at least one group who's using our podcast to um, do a small group. Um, yeah, just things I never would have expected. So I'm I'm pretty proud of of the material we've been able to put together and looking forward to to what we'll be able to do uh, coming up. That's just a testament, I think, to to two things. One, obviously, to God's kindness and giving us a bit of a voice when we don't, of course, deserve it. No one deserves a voice, but the fact that God gives us, you know, the time and the means to do something that impact other people which basically means you know god is working through whatever means god decides to use which i I find very very powerful and a a testament and the fact that we're also impacted by the people we of course interview uh, the people that listen to us it's it's one of those things you know you listen to certain podcasts or theology podcasts these these guys and gals are kind of almost untouched by how they kind of talk about theology how they talk about other people especially people they disagree with yeah I've gotten the sense doing this podcast and listening to pushback or gentle interaction and stuff like that, that there's a genuine sense of, of reciprocity with, I don't want to say fans cause that sounds gross, you know, but I would say, uh, fellow Christians who listen, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I, I've, I've just been very moved by 
excuse me, this is a very like fermented beer. Holy snickerdoodle. This, <laughs> this, oh my gosh. Like I'm going to have to take a sip of the criminally bad elf to see how this will go into this. Yeah, it still hasn't gotten any better. In fact, it's like thinned out. Yeah. All right. So the criminally bad elf is a total wash. I'm sorry. Woof. Oh, bummer. Yeah. But all this to say, Bruxy, in my mind, uh, especially, I don't know if you saw this, the Gospel Coalition, they interviewed him like two or three months back on like substitutionary atonement and scripture and yeah. all these sorts of things, Yeah. which I don't know. I, I, of course, love reading Bruxy, but it was one of those things where it's like, can we show that Bruxy KV isn't a heretic? The answers will surprise you, you know, kind of stuff. And I was just like, all right. Well, right. But right. I mean, the fact that he handled that really well is a test case but for how i think christians of good faith who who genuinely disagree can interact yeah and that's something i think you and i try to embody however fumbling or bumbling we might be but i think bruxy's example is uh, something i find very helpful as we kind of push forward into the new year and all that sort of stuff so yeah yes i agree all right. Well, this is a Christmas episode, and so we should talk about Christmassy stuff uh, before we get maybe a little bit more serious. Uh, what are what are some of your favorite um, Christmassy things? Christmas jokes or traditions, or you know, what what is Christmas like in the the Quint household? Oh gosh, I don't know if people know this, but uh, I took my wife's last name. And so, <gasps> yep, when we got married, I took Allison's last name, my maiden name. My maiden name, I guess I'll just say. My maiden name is Ahern. Uh, and so in the Ahern clan, because we're Scottish, or at least we come from Scotland, we do this thing where we do two things very specific to our household. Of course, you set up the tree and you put the presents underneath the tree and all that sort of stuff. But the night before, we blow up balloons. No helium, just air. Huh. And we cover huh. the floor. Okay. And all that sort of stuff. And so when you get in the morning, you wake up in the morning and all that sort of stuff, you throw them in the air like snow and you kind of play around in them and stuff like that. And those stay throughout the year. If you go to my parents' house right now and you look under the couch, there might be a deflated balloon the size of an ugly potato under there from last year. <laughs> and the second thing is, the Christmas tradition, pardon me, is you cannot, or this goes back, you know, until I was, you know, six or seven years old, excuse me, was you were not allowed to wake up mom and dad. Until it was blue outside. It had to be blue out. The sky had to be blue before you could do it. And my parents recognized this when I was about probably 12 or 13, maybe 14. And they and they put black tar paper paint or whatever paper over the windows of all of our rooms. And so they got maybe an extra 15 minutes of sleep, which didn't help because me being a little smart ass ran in there with, you know, the stuff, threw it on the bed and shouted, ha ha, now you owe me extra presents, you know. <laughs> so those are the two things I, I, at least I grew up with was, were those, uh, the balloons on Christmas morning, which we still do. Okay. And the, uh, the, you have to, it has to be blue outside in order to wake up mom and dad. So those are the okay. two things. What about you? Nice. I imagine yeah. with kids, things ha become a little more different because we don't have kids, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to ask, has any of that um, made its way into your and Allison's tradition? Uh, do you guys do the balloons at, at your place, or is that just mostly your, your folks? It's mostly my folks. We we don't do this here because we just don't have the space for it. And, sure. like, our, our it's basically we've got a bedroom and half a bedroom for a, for a restroom and a, a kitchenette. So it's one of those things where to put balloons in here, one, wouldn't work. And two, now that we have a feral cat the last thing i knew is need is him getting triggered vietnam style and just destroying everything because of that <laughs> and so 
Uh, it's okay. one of those where we go to my parents' house and we participate in it there, but we don't do anything here just because we don't have the space okay. or the time. Yeah. Well, that's fun. Yeah, at our house, um, it's been sort of different every year. This will be the first Christmas we have with two kids. Um, mm. The first Christmas that we have a child who actually understands Christmas at all to any degree in present. So we'll see, you know, how, you know, how early, you know, she wakes up um, this year wanting things. Um, <laughs> and we've, we've gone back and forth too. you know, visiting um, my parents and her parents, but um, usually we'll do something together. Uh, you know, as a couple or now as a family on Christmas Eve, we'll exchange some gifts and then we usually go to one of our other parents and, and have breakfast and exchange gifts with, um, parents and in-laws and, and close family. Um, and then we just sort of rest. Um, yeah. you know, my, my wife's, uh, mom usually makes, um, chicken and dumplings, like this really good chicken and dumplings oh my on gosh, that sounds um, so good right Christmas now. Eve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just, we, sometimes we go see a movie, um, like especially with my wife's family, like if there's a new star Wars movie, out, oh, you're at least that before we guy? had kids. Like you're that family. Yes. See, okay. I worked in a movie theater for three years during like <laughs> high school and that was the worst day to work because no one came to work because I were there, they were either hungover or they just didn't come to work because it's Christmas day. And I'm the one person in the building working. It was me and Holland and 500 people showed up so you are the reason why i have trauma and nightmares and cold sweats so thank you for being that oh my gosh i hate you so much right now i don't know if we can do this podcast anymore <laughs> <laughs> well um it sounds like uh you you might need to to work that out with um Lord a professional but <laughs> but no christmas morning um, it's, it's it is a good i'll get i'll great if, if they're properly staffed it is a great time to go see a movie the problem is of oh, course yeah, is yeah. they are not properly staffed and you always feel bad going in there but yes i i make a point of not going to see christmas movies on uh on chris or movies on christmas morning just because i know for a fact no one's going to be there <laughs> we don't go in the morning we usually go later in the afternoon okay you know, oh, okay see you're time. you're the nice you're the nice people then all right i i retract yeah, a yeah. little bit of what i said about 80% <laughs> of it. oh that's funny all right, so you've got okay. So hang out with families, chicken and dumplings, which sounds amazing right now. Do you guys have a thing where you open up one gift on Christmas Eve? Because that's what my family also does. You're allowed to open one gift. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, or we'll open like the the gifts for each other, just like my wife and I and kids on Christmas Eve, and then we'll do the other stuff with the family the next morning. So yeah, we or stockings. Sometimes we'll do like you know the stockings on Christmas oh, okay. Eve. Yeah. Um, all right, so does depends. does your wife think you're hard to shop for? Because I'm very easy to shop for, according to Allison. I, I'm i usually pretty easy to shop for. Um, okay. Uh, you know, I usually have, you know, books, and she, she knows me pretty well. My wife is hard to shop for. Allison is too. Oh, my gosh. It I is actually, so, I don't know what it is. I tell Gabrielle she needs to, um, like, she needs to make me a list. Uh, yep. Like, give me, give me a list of all things that she knows she wants, and then I'll pick from that so she still gets some sort of surprise. But I, the the history of trying to surprise her with something that I think she might like has, has not gone over as, as well as... I messed up so... Oh, gosh, I know that feeling. I messed up so bad. I got her books that I wanted because I thought she might want them. It turns out she didn't want them. Women are really difficult to understand. I don't know what it is. But but no, I it's it, that's the thing my family does is give me a list... We'll pick from the list and we'll go from there. We're not going to try and surprise you. We're not going to do any of that because they, my parents just are like, no, no, that's, we're not going to waste money on something you're not going to use. Yeah. So yeah. here's something for you. I'm curious because okay. uh, I've got, I've got an answer to this one, but I want to hear your thoughts first. What okay. is the one Christmas gift 
that you really, really wanted, like when at whatever age you were, whatever time it Ooh. was, that you wanted that you actually got. Like you actually Ooh. had dreams about getting it and you got it. I don't remember. Uh, I'm mm. so my love language is not gifts. <laughs> oh, okay, um, fair enough. All right, I can see that. Yeah, right, I, I'm. I'm just not a huge. So no, I will my, take my back five hundred dollars worth of beer I've bought and stocked up for you when you come out here and just give it to someone else. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I do like quality time and beer okay, and quality time enough. go hand in hand. So all right, you know, fair enough. Okay, um, okay. I'll keep the five hundred to do. <laughs> you, you just you keep the beer and, and we'll have quality time together. Oh, so I, I, I don't remember. Um, I I never. And maybe I did, and I just have a terrible memory, but I don't remember anything like I was like, oh, I really want that. Like, there's nothing that sticks out um, in my mind. What about you? Okay, so I was probably between, I'd say, I wasn't quite a teenager, maybe 10 years old. And do you remember a Christmas story? You remember of the course. Movie? Okay, yeah, all right. Yep. Um, not the greatest Christmas movie of all time. We'll get to there. That is a good Christmas movie. Uh I really wanted a Red Ryder BB gun because of that movie. Oh, okay. I yeah. really wanted it. Of course, you know, you'll shoot your eye out, you shoot your eye out, you know, kind of stuff. And I'm like, nope, I want a Red Ryder BB gun. And my parents, being them, were like, oh, you're not going to get it. And my parents, on that Christmas morning, pardon me, woof, wow, this is a really fermented beer. <laughs> I, I, I opened everything, and I was always an honest kid. I was always very honest. So, just to give an example, when my sister got a kitten, my dad went, you know, brought a kitten home for my sister, and I really wanted a kitten. But my dad, being my dad, looked at me and said, how do you feel about this? And I said, well, you know, Dad, I'm actually kind of disappointed. And he goes, why? Well, I wanted a ki- I want a cat, too. And he, he went, I appreciate that. Let's go get you a kitten. And so we went and got a kitten, and that was my first cat, Tiger. So I was always that kind of kid, like, you know what, I'm just, and I, I would always say, you know, I'm just, I'm not happy. You know, and I wouldn't be disrespectful. I was always that kind of kid. You know, I was taught good manners growing up. You never, you never were disrespectful. And I was, you know, so I opened up all the presents and it was stuff I liked and stuff that I was kind of cool about, but I really wanted that gun. My dad asked me, you know, did you, is there anything you really wanted that you didn't get? He used to always ask me that. He doesn't ask me that more because, you know, I asked for a hundred dollars <laughs> for the books, a hundred dollars for the books and I always get it basically and same for him. But Which is just one book, right? It basically, yeah. Carl Bartz, all the dogmatics on our shelf right now, $100. So that was basically a Christmas <laughs> gift, which thank you, Dad, for that. You know, cheers. Uh, but, and so I'm sitting there going, you know what, Dad, I, I, I appreciate, and I, I think I actually said this, I appreciate everything you got me, but I was really looking forward to that Red Rider BB gun. And he went, fair enough. Have you checked around the room? And of course, you know, my blood pressure just spikes. I'm like, <gasps> you know, oh my gosh. And I run around there, and I find it like the movie behind the couch. I unwrap it and it's Red Rider BB gun. And I'm just stoked. I'm just so happy. Nice. My parents yeah. said, you cannot shoot that while we're here. And I was like, <laughs> which, of course, is basically like saying, you've got explosive, you, explosives, you can't set them off. And I'm like, but it defeats the whole purpose of having yeah. this, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. But they said, okay, but we're going up to Phelan in a few days, which is kind of north of the San Gabriel Mountains, you know, maybe like a two and a half hour drive into the desert where maybe 10,000 uh-huh. people live, you know, kind of thing. And we got out there, and I hung out with everyone and all that, but I really wanted to shoot that gun. And so, I, you know, everyone's in the house talking, and I hung out with my friend and all that, and he went into the house, and I went, you know what, I'm going to shoot this gun. I'm going to shoot this gun. I'm finally going to do this gun, you know, kind of thing. And so I get the gun, I load it up, I fire, and I look over, and I see a lizard on a rock. And me being me, I'm like, I think I can, if I kill it, I can eat it. Because I was always operating oh, no. with that mindset. If I kill no. it, I should eat it. And so I, no. I aim, I fire... 
I miss, it hits the rock, and it hits me. Where do you think it hits me? Right between the eyes. No, you'll shoot your eye out, and I did. It bounced back, and it hit me right in the corner of my right eye. If it had been maybe a centimeter to the left, it would have gone into my eye cavity. But it missed, and it dinged off the side of my eye. I looked at my gun and said, screw this. I'm not becoming an NRA member, and I threw my gun away, and I never fired it again. Never? No, because the (laughs) prophecy rang true. You'll shoot your eye out, and on the first shot I did, I missed the lizard, so I didn't get to eat it and, you know, take the pleasure. You know, you kill it, you have to eat it. And I shot myself in the eye, and all I hear is, you shoot your eye out, you shoot your eye out, you shoot your eye out. And I went, yep, never shooting this again. I put it in the trunk and never shot it again. Oh, man. Which explains some of my political views nowadays, actually, quite well, but we'll avoid that. (laughs) Oh, so, so you you get two things that you need to, you need to work out with a professional, it sounds like. (laughs) Yes, very much so. Uh, See, this, this, this beer therapy is, is working well for you. It is. It actually is. And then another thing my mother said to me was, I'm kidding. (laughs) All right. So, uh, moving in now to uh, bests and worsts. Um, what is, and we sort of hinted at this in our last episode, but what is the best and worst Christmas movie of all time, in your opinion? Well, I think there are gradations, obviously. So I'll give you, there's of course, you know, the classics you have to watch. I will absolutely grant there is a classic kind of sphere. Like being in Christ, there's a sphere of goodness that you need to be in part of. (laughs) Of course, Charlie Brown Christmas. You got to watch Charlie Brown Christmas. You have to watch The Old Grinch, you know, with Boris Karloff, you know, the 30-minute short. And you have to watch, of course, as I mentioned, A Christmas Story. You know, you, mm-hmm. you just have to watch it. And that's where I learned my first curse word was fudge. And I actually thought that was a really bad word. And so I said it all the time. And no one, I couldn't understand why people were laughing at me. But, Thomas, the question then becomes, what is the greatest Christmas movie of all time? Because I think you and I actually agree on this. Yeah, clearly. Die Hard. Die Hard. Absolutely. Die, Die Hard is the Absolutely. greatest Christmas movie of all time. Do you want to know why? I made seven reasons why Die Hard is the greatest <laughs> Christmas movie of all time. Thomas didn't know any of this, anyone. I actually wrote these seven reasons out. Seven theological reasons why Die Hard is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Do you want to hear, Thomas, why Die Hard but, is, is the greatest Christmas movie of all time? I, I think we owe it to our to our listeners to, to spell this out. All right. For nine ninety nine a month, you too can also be the one who... No, I'm kidding. We're not. I'm just going to say this right now. All right. So John McClane is a direct echo of Jesus Christ, but with an Irish primitive, Mick Klain. But if you remove the <laughs> I Irish primitive... I think I just spit out my beer on my, on my laptop. <laughs> an Irish, if you remove the Irish primitive, JC, Jesus Christ, hence Christ figure. Theological reason number one, confirmed. Theological reason number two. John McClain's signature phrase, yippee Kaye, mother, you know what, is an implicit echo of Proverbs 4.3 in the Septuagint, which reads, For for when I was a son with my father, and I was loved in the presence of my mother. Obviously a Septuagint link between John McClane and Proverbs 4.3. He's just being biblical with what he's saying. And of course, the third one, you and I will obviously agree on this. The movie takes place on Christmas Eve. Duh. Christmas movie. Right. Number four, there are Christmas trees and Christmas decorations in the movie. So, aspectively... The characters in the film are aware of the Christmas season. Hence, therefore, we should watch it during the season in which they participated. I think that's fair. (laughs) Number five, the film literally ends with a Christmas song, Let It Snow. It was released on July 20th, 1988, telling us that Christmas music can be played on that date, date 4th. Hence... Whoa, whoa. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. Whoa. Hold on. Telling us that Christmas, Christmas music can be played on that date 4th, hence inaugurated eschatology. 
What? Oh, mm-mm. hold on. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. No. Hold on. All right. Nope. Go ahead. Go ahead. Nope. Veto. That I listen. I'm. I'm. Christmas music is growing on me. I'm becoming less and less of a Grinch as I get older and have kids. But no Christmas music before Thanksgiving. This is this is biblical, man. Like, but this is there are things that we can, you know, agree to disagree on, and then there is you know the the things that that we have to agree on, and there's just no Christmas music before Thanksgiving, and I, I'm I'm putting my foot down. Well, you're allowed to put your foot down because you know you of course are the man of your household. Uh, I guess that's how that works. <laughs> but there is something I think more distinct that needs to be talked about. There is of course a distinct linkage between cats and John McClane. Bruce Willis is known to be a cat man. <laughs> That is, cats will climb, of course, to the very top of a Christmas tree and usually destroy the star and everything involved, right? We all know this to be true. John McClane, or I'm sorry, uh, JC, because we don't want to miss the uh, the linkage there. JC does so too in Die Hard at climbing to the top of the building, therefore establishing a link between the goodness of the animal-created order and the ecological crisis inherent within the Christmas season. Advent is resistance, and cats are vital to this. So when John McClane destroys the top of that building in Die Hard, he's acting as a cat, participating in the destruction of something, and therefore being an ecological critique of it. And this, of course, is seen. Cats are also very picky about their paws, and when John McClane, of course, is too, given that he runs barefoot over a lot of broken glass. So, cats, John McClane, I think that's fair. Animal Kingdom, it's good. And, of course, number seven. John McClane makes Christmas jokes. I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Hence, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, knows it's a Christmas movie, and should be celebrated as a Christmas movie, as the Christmas movie, because, as we all know, Elf <clears throat> sucks. Nick, I love you, man, but you you just eisegeted Die Hard worse than a Calvinist in the Bible. I'm going to need to take another sip of that. Go ahead and say that again while I sip on the... <laughs> <laughs> I said, I love you, but you just eisegeted Die Hard worse than a Calvinist in the Bible. Oh, come on. It's just all I did was approach <laughs> Roman 9 with the Reformation in mind and anti Like, Oh, come on. But uh, no, I, I but, think at least two, I I think two of those are valuable. I think two of those t- are valuable. Two, two of those are valuable, and to, to demonstrate how we can find unity even in some diversity, mm-hmm. I, I wholeheartedly disagree with you that Christmas music can be played in July, but I absolutely agree, Elf sucks. Okay, well, I'm glad we agree that Elf sucks. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the hype is. I think parts of it are funny. I will absolutely grant when it's funny, it's funny. You gotta get, you know, it's like when a Calvinist is right, you tip your hat to them. <laughs> But at the end, of it the doesn't day, happen often. But no, but when no. It happens, you know, it happens. If you leave Romans nine through eleven and Ephesians one, John six out of it, they're very little is right. But you will grant when they are right, they are right, and you got to respect. Show you know, got to show respect. But Elf, oh, I just I don't know why people find Elf funny. No. I just I just don't no. know what it is. Agreed, agreed. All right, uh, so that's movies. Let's move on to albums. Um, what is the uh, the the best and worst Christmas album in your opinion? I think I'm on solid ground when I say the best Christmas album is, of course, the Charlie Brown Christmas album. Okay. That, for right. me, that's just what it is. It brings It's all nostalgia, and it's composed very well. I know because I have a minister of music at church who really, really, really likes that album, so... And he's actually trained in that, so I can't. Who am I to you know, deny the expert on this one? It's like but, flat earthism. You gotta go to the scientists and go from there. <laughs> There you go. There you go. And what about the worst? Regis Philbin. 
<laughs> is that a thing? Regis Philbin did a Christmas album and is the worst Christmas Christmas album of all time. Not Mariah Carey. Nothing else on that. Nope, Mariah Carey is at least tolerable. Regis Philbin did the worst Christmas album of all time, bar none, and I will never forgive him for it. I've never even heard it, but I think I agree with you. Um, <laughs> so I'm not a, like. <laughs> I, here's the thing: I'm not like a huge music person. Some people I know just love music, listen to it all the time. Um, I'm not like a, a huge. If I'm listening to something, it's usually a, a book or, or um, something else. But uh, recently, I, I stumbled across um, the group Anthem Lights. I don't know if you've heard of them. Um, they do like that sounds um, awesome. I, no, Anthem like Lights. A, I'll put that down. Yeah, acapella um, slash they, they do a lot of covers of other stuff, some some Christian worship music as well as some, uh, and they have a Christmas album they just put out um, with some, some really cool Christmas covers. So um, I've been enjoying the, the Anthem Lights Christmas album this year. That sounds pretty awesome. But what is the worst Christmas album of all time for you? I don't know. I if it's I don't listen to that much anyway. So I'll, like I said, I I've never heard the Regis Philbin one, but just the description alone, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to have to agree with you. Well, here here you go. You you could say, and I don't want to of course put words in your mouth, but you could say any music that's played uh, around the time of July 20th when Die Hard was released. Would that be fair? Anything that's played during that time? Well, sure, sure. Then that's a terrible Christmas album because it's right, just out of place. It, you right. know, it's I like something that. out of due time. I can respect that. Yeah. All right. So. All right, let's move a little bit more serious, a little bit more theological. Um, you know, this this whole year, our our theme in our podcast has sort of been what is, you know, we've did what is a Christian, what is faith, what is the gospel. So what is Christmas? Um, and specifically, what what to you in this, this aspect, this season of life, what to you is the most significant theological aspect of Christmas? Hmm. I think for me, and this was something we started doing at church that I, I kind of facilitated, was the idea of not only Advent, but incarnation. Incarnation being at the front and center. But, and I think this is important. It's not a, an easy, it's not a, a, a non-contextual incarnation. So it's rather, it's an incarnation. So you have, you have carnations front and center. We usually do... Um, poinsettias, I bet. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, do poinsettias. You do poinsettias. Yeah, carnations, yeah. Yeah, Jesus came as a plant. I don't know if anyone realized this. Jesus came as a plant. But for, for, I'm for sorry, me, that was you. You were being serious, and I made a stupid pun. Go ahead. Well, here we go. Hold on. This is. I'm going to do the final beer. This is the brewery. It's called the Bakery. It is an imperial stout in a can, aged in bourbon barrels with coconut and natural vanilla flavor added. So here we go. This is from a brewery that's around me. So it's a local brewery. Ooh, got a nice little hiss. And uh, I will pour it and continue talking. The incarnation, I think, but a non, uh, we might say it's an incarnation within a specific geopolitical context, as you and I have talked about, you know, considerably. The idea being that Christ became incarnate at a certain point in time when the Roman Empire was at the size it was, had the power it did, you know, the Pax Romana and all that. The fact that Jesus didn't become incarnate instantaneously. At any specific time, but that he chose this time and basically made his presence known, made his home among us. And uh, within a time of little hope, little peace, little joy and little safety, he chose that time to become vulnerable among us and to make his presence known among us. And that for me is at its most basic what the Christmas season is about is the idea that Christ became among us 
like us in every way, and did not hide the splendor of God's self from us, but rather emptied himself and jumped into that with us. And so that, I think, at its most basic level is what I think the Christmas season is all about. That's beautiful. Amen. Yep. And now I get to sniff this. And why don't you tell me what you think? Because I'm pouring this and it's got a really nasty foamy head. So I'm actually oh, no. kind of scared about this one. Oh, no. Hope it's not as, as bad as the others. Uh, so I think at least at this stage of my life and theological development, uh, similar to yours, but I think specifically um, the the interventionness of mm. of Christmas, the mm. the God who who enters into the mess that we made. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's you know you th- you think of sin, and it, you know sin gets sort of this. I don't know. It, it, it it's the the term has become so weaponized that I you know. Sometimes I, I wonder how useful it is. But when you think of sin in terms of, you know, we made a mess. Like, humanity made a mess. And mm. um, God, instead of just leaving us to our own devices or, or abandoning us or throwing his hands up in the air, right, as you said in the incarnation, uh, enters into the mess with us. Um, you know, and, and, and not only that, but but does so in a way that, that nobody expected um, you know, everybody is, you know, you're looking to Rome or you're looking to Jerusalem, to these centers of, of power and prestige. And, and God just sort of sneaks in the back door um, where nobody's really watching and paying attention. And, you know, um, the, the announcement, you know, using, using Mary and Joseph, you know, relative nobodies in, in this area of, of, Palestine that nobody's paying attention to really and, and announces it to the shepherds, the, this group of, of people that nobody really likes, right? And, and you see God starting to, to put things back together um, from the inside out and, and starting where nobody's expecting, um, you know, mm-hmm. and I just, I, I love that aspect of the story of, of God intervening, but intervening in a way that, that's so backwards and, and un, unexpected and upside down, Um but doing so out of this heart of love to help us clean up our mess, to show us what it means to really live. Um, when really, it, I mean, we didn't we we didn't deserve that kind of grace. But it's just a, it's just a testament, I think, to um, if, if the the kind of God that that Christianity really reveals in Jesus. So, so that's for me at least right now. That's the most theological theologically significant aspect of Christmas. And it's one of those things, if you really want, and this is something we talked about in church and we talked about, or at least in uh, the service last uh, summer, uh, semester, uh, my gosh, I'm still stuck on seminar, last Sunday, but you and I also talked about it quite a bit last episode, is basically if you want to understand what Christmas is like, look at the Magnificat, you know, Luke 1, yeah. 46 right? through 55. Yeah, just go to the Magnificat. This is what God is doing. And some people were looking for it, but most people weren't. And the people that were looking for it were castigated and looked down upon. But yeah. at the end of the day, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's done these mighty things, more mighty than those with the thrones. But instead of breaking down the thrones to crush the humble, he's lifted up the humble and all these sorts of things. You kind of look at it and go, Christmas, is not, it's not so easy to say that Christmas is the time for the oppressed, but it is a time for inversion. Like you said, intervention, yes. but also inversion. That The yeah. incarnation looks at everything and goes, this is not how it should be, and this yeah. is not how it ought to be and i'm going to show you by means of 
great immense suffering you know that of what god is really like and what god has called us to be as his church and his people and that's something i think that gets at the heart of christmas it's not just some easy consumerism or some easy like god became like us so that we might become like god it's like yes that's true not the consumerism part but the god you know the imitation of christ and stuff like that right but just the idea being that um god has always been active but now he's acted decisively I think that's kind of where it comes down to Abraham yes. and to his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So God isn't doing something yep. new. God is doing what God has always done. And just mm. now he's put, he's brought the hammer down basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Very good. Very oh, and a uh, brief update real quick with the bakery brewery. Uh, yeah. uh, all right. So I smell it. It smells actually smells like a Macron, you know, those weird cookies. Oh, okay. It actually okay. smells like it. Um, I'm going to take a sip now, so bear with me for like two seconds. Oh, that is really sweet. But it's got that coffee bourbony bitterness at the end of it that okay. cuts it. So I'm sorry about that. So it's not like the nat- the criminally bad elf where it's just sugar cookie cough syrup sweet. This is actually like bitter sweet, which, oh, okay. all right. All right, and actually, it actually tastes like coconut. All right, I can roll with it. All right, I'm good with this. So two out of four, so 50%, not too bad. Not bad, not bad. All right. Um, So one of the things we did leading up to this is we asked our uh, followers on social media if they had any questions or jokes, silly or serious, that they wanted to ask or tell us. Um, And so we're going to do one silly question and one serious question. Um, so the, the silly question comes from somebody that you know, right? Yep. This is a good friend of mine from, uh, Trevor Stewart. He's out in Atlanta. So he's, you know, big into football and stuff like that. So he's one of my good friends. We knew, I knew him from Biola. He was actually one of the groomsmen in my wedding. So I got a, got a lot of love for Stu. Uh, he asks us, would you rather eat burnt Christmas dinner or burnt Thanksgiving dinner? Burnt Christmas dinner or burnt Thanksgiving dinner? Ooh. So... We don't have like a a a consistently a consistent Christmas dinner. Hmm. Um, so for me, I'd have to say I'd, I'd rather have a burnt Christmas dinner because I love Thanksgiving, um, and that's like I feel like the meal is the focus of the Thanksgiving day, whereas the meals on Christmas are nice and good, but they don't. Like they don't define the day, and so if mm. if the meal on Thanksgiving is burnt, then the whole reason for the day is sort of shot. Whereas if you have a burnt meal on Christmas, it's just one disappointment, but you have other things that are happening. So that's that's See, my answer. Oh gosh, I don't know if we actually agree on this. I'd ra- I don't like Thanksgiving. I don't what? like I don't <sighs> like turkey. The only Nick. stuff I like on Thanksgiving are stuffing and mashed potatoes. I don't like I Nick. don't like Thanksgiving. I'm a ham is what you should have on Thanksgiving. That's all I'm saying. Ham should be on Thanksgiving. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I just can't roll with it. It just doesn't taste right. Like, just turkey is not my thing. So, if you're going to burn it... Are you even American, Nick? Well, I mean, I'm from Scotland, sort of, kind of. So, I mean, I guess you can... You know, the William Wallace rebel streak in me is kind of a thing. But I just just can't get behind Thanksgiving. Like, I love the family time. I love the football. I love the sacraments of the Thanksgiving day. I just don't like the meal. I just don't like the meal. I just can't do it. And turkey, I just never could do. So I'd rather like... have I'd rather have a burnt Thanksgiving thing because then I can just look forward to Christmas when basically in my family tradition, you eat whatever the snickerdoodle you want. 
I feel like we have agreed on almost everything all year long in like 11 episodes. And now the fact that we're, you know, just sort of ad-libbing, we're, we're uncovering some, some deep disagreements. And I just, I hope that the, the podcast can survive these, these rifts in, in, um, very well, Thomas, issues. Ju- just so you know, Romans nine individual election from the foundation of the world. I'm just saying. So you just you just need to get on board with what the Bible says. Well, I, I can agree with you there. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's like I got nothing right. against Thanksgiving stuff. I just I just can't do turkey. Turkey for me, yeah. just I can't do turkey. Okay, I love th- just love the Thanksgiving meal. Everything about it. Um, yeah, whereas, for, same with Christmas, we eat whatever we want, and so if something's burnt, there's still other things during the day. It's not defined, Christmas isn't defined by the meal the way that Thanksgiving is for me. Yeah, um, I can say that. I, respectful. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I can roll with it. All right, so that was our silly question. Our serious question comes from um, a friend of mine on Twitter, Josh Rowley. Uh, he's a pastor out uh, in California, actually. Um, a Calvinist, but of the more progressive kind. Um so he asked this question. He says, the virgin birth, essential belief or not? And he follows up, uh, were the fundamentalists right to include the virgin birth in their list of fundamentals? If so, why do the gospel of Mark and the gospel of John not describe it? Why does Paul never mention it? And can we get to the incarnation without it? So is the virgin birth essential Christian belief or not? What say you? Oh gosh, um, I would say for me, yes. Would I press that for everyone else? I'm not sure. I'd have to hear their reasons for that. Um, for me, I would say for me, in order for me to affirm a central Christian belief, yes. Um, not because uh, we might say that God needed to do that, do it that way, but because I think that's how God did it. Um, so I think the difference is, you know, for example, the God, what is the gospel of John and Mark and Paul never mention it? Uh, my response is, well, there's a lot of things in the gospels as you and I both know. And I'm, and I know Josh knows cause Josh is a smart guy that they don't mention that they just do differently. That's just not part of the story that they're trying to get at. And so I, I'm not right. surprised when people just don't talk about stuff. Are there echoes of, I think the question is, uh, was Jesus, did Jesus exist before his birth? And I think that's a more interesting question that John and Paul are more interested in, at least in some parts of Paul. The Gospel of John, I think, is very concerned about that. Paul, eh, a few verses here and there. So I think at the most baseline, easy, easy level, I would say, for me, I think it's essential. For others, I'm not willing to say no, because I would just need to hear their reasons. Uh, okay. For example, I heard, what was his name? Andrew Lincoln gave a, a really interesting book arguing against the virgin birth of Christ, and I completely disagreed with it, and I thought it was really poorly argued. That said, I'm not saying all arguments against it are. I'm just saying the, sure. most, sophisticated, the, the most sophisticated case I heard was not compelling at all, so I just view it as, I think this is essential, but will someone go to hell for not believing in it? That's not my call to make, ever. So... Sure, sure. Well, I mean, would you would you categorize denial of the virgin birth um, at the same level of heresy as as other things, or is that would you say that it's more secondary uh, importance? I, I make two distinctions here, and this is something I think you and I have talked about briefly. I make a distinction between orthodox uh, first tier and ecclesiological first tier. 
right? So, for example, mm-hmm. women in ministry is a, a big issue. You and I are both very passionate about it. We're both very passionate about women being involved in every aspect of ministerial leadership. Uh, it's not an orthodox first-tier issue, meaning if someone who doesn't affirm women in ministry, they're not going to hell, at least based on that. But in terms of orth- uh, orthopraxy, in her- terms of how we function as the church, it is a first-tier issue because it affects the entire church. You know what I mean? So right. I, I try to make a distinction there. For me, I don't think someone who denies this is going to hell, basically. It's one of those where I kind of go, I, within the orthodox stream of the Christian faith, I find it very... De- it's one of those things, it's like, I don't put it on par with the resurrection, because I think the resurrection, without the resurrection, you and I are basically doing a podcast that is utterly irrelevant, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, it's, it's for me, it's not on the tier of the resurrection, but it is, I would say, it is important, but it's not to the extent okay. of the resurrection. Sure, sure. Um, or at least off I, the top I'm, of my head, talking about this with you right now, of course. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, I think I'm I, I'm in the same boat. I I see no reason to deny it. Most of the reasons that I've heard to deny it are based on things like, well, that just doesn't happen, right? It's it sort of lumped in with a, a, an overall denial of hmm. miracles in general, um, which I think is a silly reason to deny anything, right? Uh, I, I think that. I've got a friend who would label that as like enlightenment epistemological elitism, you know, or something to that effect. That if we just say, well, that doesn't happen or that couldn't happen, I don't think that's a reason to deny it. And I think that's where most denials come from. They just say, well, people aren't born that way. Well, you know, in the same way, people aren't raised from the dead usually, but we believe that to be true. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I don't think that that. Uh, on its on its face is a reason to deny it. Um, it. It seems to have been important both to Matthew and Luke, which is fifty percent of the Gospels. I mean that. Um, so I, I would like you. I would have to ask why somebody chooses to deny it, and if it's if it's based on an overall denial of miracles in general, it's like, well, you know, I I'm just I don't think we need to go there. Um, that I think that raises other questions. But yeah. with you. Um, do I think that if somebody doesn't believe it, that they're, you know, they're condemned to hell? No. Um, you know, do I think that it's heresy on par with denying the resurrection or, or other things? Not necessarily. Even heresy, that, that H word I don't love. Um, yeah, it's it's become here. too weaponized. Um, but for the same reason, I, I you know, um, there are things in, in John that aren't included in any others. There are things in Paul. I mean, there's lots of stuff in the Gospels that Paul just doesn't talk about. But, you know, sometimes you don't need to repeat things. And it, it, there doesn't seem to have been any debate over this in the first few hundred years. I mean, the, the presence of of uh, the Virgin Mary in the creeds and all of that, like, yeah. it, it, was, it seems to have been fairly unremarkable and in, in, um, undebated among the, the early Christians. Um, so I don't see any, uh, is it essential? Like, do you have to believe it to be saved? Not necessarily, but I don't think that there's any really good reason to deny it either. Right. And and that's kind of where I'm at is I don't need the gospels or Paul or the author of Hebrews, whoever the snickerdoodle that is to say the exact (laughs) same thing in the exact same way, because in my mind, uh, someone's plagiarizing someone. So, you know what I mean? And so the, the lack of something in Paul or, uh, Hebrews doesn't for me mean these are false. It just means there's a different emphasis or there's a different type of story being told, which, you know, in right. my mind, fair enough. 
that sure. I, I don't expect conformity when four different people tell the story of Jesus. Like that would right. be terrifying because that's just a copy and paste job and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, right. I, I, I think I'm with you. It's one of those, is it essential? It's like, well, yeah, but what I, I'm more interested in the why of the denial versus is it essential or not? You know, if it, I'm with you, if it's epistemologically like, oh, this doesn't make sense or this doesn't make sense. I'm like, well, the resurrection doesn't make sense. And in my mind, we live in a fundamentally weird world. Like I've, yeah. I've seen experiences from people who, you know, are, I know are sane, are rational, who have experienced demonic stuff. Like I know them personally yeah. and, I, and I can attest to the fact that these are not insane people that see things. And so right. I kind of right. go, if if you believe we live in a fundamentally weird world, then, an incar- then the incarnation classically described, isn't that weird? I mean, it is, but it isn't. And so in yeah. my mind, I would need to know, if, I think the question gets back to, and I think Josh is right about this, is, the, the why of the denial, you know what I mean? And of course, yeah. the, the can we get to the incarnation without it? My response is, and I think it's a really good question, is probably, but that's on how God decided to do it. And in my mind, I think God decided to do it in the way Luke describes. And I just kind of go, well, if that's how God decided to do it, then all right, <laughs> I'm good with yes. that. I, I think that's a, an important distinction. But I think um, it's a really good question. Like, I think it's a really oh, good absolutely, question. absolutely. Um, and, and I think the question is, is could God have gotten to the incarnation some other way? And I think we have to answer yes, right? I, um, I, I think some of the people who who assert that the virgin birth is essential, it, I think that's rooted in sort of a, um, a misunderstanding of original sin. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think you need. I don't think. I don't think belief in original sin is essential to, to Christian salvation. Um, but I think for a lot of people. The reason that they have to have a virgin birth is because they, under undergirding that is this um, belief that that original sin is um, is a necessary thing, and that if Jesus was was born of normal, you know, methods, yeah. um, that there was no way he could have been. And I just I don't you know again when we start saying something has to be a certain way, I think we're we're dangerous close to putting God um, in a box. And so I think... Yeah, and and these were the same people that said God had to come as a conquering Messiah with a sword who wanted to literally kill everyone. And it's kind of like, well, you know what I mean? And so God has to do something a certain way. It's like, no, God is free in the sense of Karl Barth, for example. God is free to do what God wants to do. You know, it's like the end, it's the climax of Romans 11, right? You know, God is free to be merciful to those who are disobedient or free to imprison people all in disobedience so that he might be merciful and all these sorts of things. It's like, well, at the end of the day, why? And then Paul goes, well, let me tell you about how the goodness of God is and, you know, launches into his doxology. And so I kind of go on the one hand. Yes, I absolutely agree. Could we get the incarnation without it? God is a miraculous thing. And the fact that you believe in God is kind of one of those things where if God is, then God can do, you know what I mean? If God is, then God can do. And at the end of the day, if God wants to do something, God could do certain things a certain way. And, you know, the idea of original sin, I think I, I agree with you. I, I do try to make a distinction between original sin and original guilt and mm. make a distinction between those two, which, of course, you know, when you and I do our goals for next year, but I'm dumb, <laughs> you know, that might factor into it a bit. I don't know. But making a distinction between original sin or the the original sin versus what we might say the consequences innate within that are a whole different question but that also is something that plays into there but for me can we get the incarnation without it 
Probably, but I just don't think that's how God decided to do it. Hence, the subversive and inversive, inversive element of how God decides to work in the world. Yes. Yeah. Uh, good. Well, nice to see we're on the same page. Then. Sorry, it's a, it's a hell of a question. It's a really good question. It is. Like you and it's I could a write question. a dissertation on that kind of question. We could. We could. Uh, so yeah, thanks, thanks, uh, Trevor and Josh for those fun questions. Those are uh, great. Yeah, thank if you, you have other questions, you can. Yeah, absolutely. You can always uh, send us a message on uh, Facebook, or you can at us on Twitter, and we'll uh, we'll try to make answering your questions more of a feature coming up. Which leads to our next thing, uh, Nick. What are our goals for next year? We've sort of done one year of this, one season. What are we looking forward to? Um, are we are we going to keep doing this podcast, or you know, are we gonna are we gonna call it quits, or what's what's in the future? Well, this is the final episode ever, so enjoy it while it lasts, guys. Thanks for listening. This has been uh, Sinister's Podcast, the most mainstream <laughs> theology podcast on the internet by God's providence. Uh, You're Thomas Carrox, I'm Nick Quint, and goodbye. No, it's, <laughs> you, you and I have talked about this for a while, and we're still, of course, in the constructive phase of this. This is something you and I have been praying about and thinking about. But you and I have been talking about, and this is a little more free form, but the idea being we want to do something... Uh, and this is similar to, uh, to give a little background for this before I say anything, uh, Velimati Karkainen is a systematic theologian here at Fuller Wait, who's who? done, Velimati Karkainen, he's Finnish. So he's... Can you spell that? Backwards? Uh, backwards, no. We'll, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. K, uh, back, uh, last name, K-A-R-K-K-A-I-N-E-N. Karkainen. It's, it, it sounds like a, it sounds like a Hans Gruber kind of villain last name, but it, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> he, he's a really uh, awesome. Guy. I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he he's pretty awesome. Uh, I've heard a lot of really good things, and he did a five volume constructive theology, uh, where he builds theology around, of course, questions about pluralism, about other religions, and within Christian orthodoxy. And it's this attempt to be rigorous theologically as it relates to the history of Christian theology, but also taking seriously questions of science, questions of other religions and so forth. And it's, I'm reading his nice. section on, on Christology and other, ta- uh, I think it's, it's, oh gosh, the first volume is something, I think it's like Trinity and Revelation. And the next wow. episode is Christ and Pluralism or some, And so okay. you can see it very different from like Wayne Grudem theology, you know, stuff like that, sure. you know, very, sure. very different. And the goal, I think, for you and I, and the goal of this podcast, ultimately, if we're just, if we boil it down, is we're not trying to deconstruct something. We're trying to build something out of the history of Christian tradition, the history of scripture and interpretation. We're trying to uh, reconstruct from the ashes, you know, for people that have burned it down, the people that have suffered brokenness and all that sort of stuff. We're trying to take seriously the question of where does Christian theology begin and what is the Bible and how do we use it in theology and stuff like that and kind of begin to construct something that is both uh, respectful of the Christian tradition and of scripture, especially as I don't know if you have, I don't like calling myself an evangelical a lot, but I am one basically. (laughs) Sure. You know, in the best sense of the word, I am that. And that means taking history and tradition and, and scripture with the utmost seriousness if scripture says it we do it and that's why we ordain women and that's why we do all these other things because we believe yes. scripture tells it you know what i mean yeah 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 right but taking these things seriously and letting scripture dictate where we go but also taking seriously questions of science and and philosophy and other stuff 
And yeah. the goal, I think, yeah. for the ne- for the rest of the year, or at least maybe as our, our going project, is to how do we construct a theology that can be both lived, lived yes. out in the in the real world, but right. also respects where we come from as Christians. I, I don't know. Right. That, that's kind of how I see it. What do you, what do you see? Yeah. No. I I'm I love that. I think, um, you know, continuing with what we've tried. You know what what we try to do is bridging the gap between some of the more um, academic stuff where maybe you and I live a little bit more and, um, you know, some of the people who, who haven't had the, the opportunity to to have some of that training. Um, but yes, the, you know, the thing that we continually talk about is, is continuing this, this positive vision for Christian discipleship, right? So a theology of, of discipleship, and maybe that's something we can uh, hash out a little bit more, but, but where do we, you know, where do we begin theology where do we begin when we talk about god as christians um i think we're, we're gonna spend a, a good bit of time next year just talking you know what is the bible and and how do we use it in theology because i mean the the, the battle for the bible rages on and um in there's there's good ways to interpret and use the bible and there's really bad ways to, to read and interpret Amen. the bible and so i Amen. think um, giving people some practical tools, right, to, to help them start diving into that themselves, um, to, to 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 build their own. So I think that's um, you know a, a constructive theology, and especially giving people the tools to start doing it on their own and, and the right kinds of questions to ask. Yeah, and um, you and I not being thought leaders in this, like dictatorial. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, right. You know, like saying here here are the tools. Here's hermeneutics. Here's textual criticism. Here's all the things that you need to kind of do what basically the Protestant Reformation ideally interpreted was all about giving scripture back to the people, so to speak. Not to say Roman Catholicism is all about that or, or against that, but just at that time, so to speak, but giving people the ability. And I think you and I've talked about this, you know, we're both pastors. We both care about people having the chance to, to stop and read scripture for themselves and disagree with like us and our interpretation. Right. Right. You know, and I think this, striking this balance trying to strike this balance of yes theology matters um but it matters most in terms of how that it 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 then the the the, how it causes us to to interact with one another that that theology in the abstract is not necessarily our goal right just having this this laundry list of, of you know quote unquote right beliefs but but a theology that's robust enough to to form and shape us um in our embodied experience um in the world and and how you know things like scripture and tradition and science and all of these things can function together um to to help us actually live in the real world in the 21st century um, while still taking this you know 2000 plus year old text seriously and um so I think uh, blending yeah. those together is, is going to be our task for the for the year. Yeah, it's 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 basically at the end of the day, if you can't live this theology, what point is it? You know, what right? I mean? yep. If you can't live yep. this and participate in it and love your neighbor as yourself, even if you hold to fundamentalist beliefs or progressive beliefs or what have you, if you can't live this out, then it's just a pipe dream. You know. Yes. And the goal, I think, for you and I, at the heart of it, is Christian discipleship, spiritual formation, and being able to actually tangibly live something that impacts not just you. It's ne- theology in my mind is never about you. It's about us. 
And if you can't yes. affect other people together and be the person that God wants you to be, then we're basically, you know, just academics who don't care about the church. And at the end of the day, you and I care both about the church. We care about right. how people live and treat each other. And if you're not willing to kind of dive into that, it's like either respect the history of the Christian tradition, which includes living a certain way, loving a certain way, respecting people. Sure. We need to live into that. And if we're not doing that, yeah. then it's just a merely academic enterprise. And we all know those things don't get published a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, and not, not just that, even if they, they do get, I mean, it's just not, it's, it's not helpful. It's not transformative. And I think we're looking for something that is, that is holistically transformative. That's, that's intellectually defensible and satisfying as well as moral, you know, um, and, and we'll get into some of that, you know, as we start, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll start highlighting some differences between, you know, our tradition and others. But, but at the end of the day, it's not about, we've talked about this before. We're not, we're not Wesleyan Arminians because we, we like Wesley better than we like Calvin. We we find that's that this true. that's that's kind of uh, true. We, yeah, I mean we do, but <laughs> the reason we, the reason we do it is because we find it actually is a a more robustly faithfully biblical um, Christ like mm. overall theology. Mm. Um, not you know it's one of the things that that I lament is the fact that sometimes. Um, you know, Arminians and non-Calvinists and, and even, you know, quote-unquote progressives, they, they're they so quick to, to give up the Bible because of the way that it's been misused. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. This, like, don't... I remember watching a debate one time um, over over Calvinism, and, and one of the Arminian debaters said something like, I'll grant you that Calvinism is biblical, but it's not beautiful. And I was like, hold on a second. Back up, back what? up, back up, back no. up. No. Oh, it's, hell no. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Like, no, don't don't concede the Bible because I, I think, as we'll demonstrate, the Bible, when, when it's really rightly interpreted, um, when it's rightly, when it's used the way that it should be and we begin at the right place, which is one of the things we're going to talk about, um, that, that we, it's not like, we're crafting a theology apart from the Bible. We think this is the most faithful interpretation of the the revelation of Scripture, and so I think Amen. that I, I hope that's one of the things that we'll we'll really highlight um, in the next year. And yeah, and in addition to that, it's also research for uh, potential uh, works of literature and stuff like that too. So it's something you and I sure. are taking seriously academically as well. So we're not trying yes. to be. Oh, let's pander to these people or something like that. It's like, right. no, let's let's take this seriously for everyone. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, so, in addition to to doing that, um, building sort of a constructive theology, continuing on, on what we've done, I think we've laid a good foundation with, you know, our what is series. Um, we'll we'll continue with that. We're also going to um, interview a few more authors. We've already got two lined up. Um, Dan Kent. Dan is the general editor for Renew, which is the um, the blog and podcast uh, of Greg Boyd's. So Dan uh, works closely with Greg Boyd. He's actually written his own book called Confident Humility that I just finished reading. Um, really uh, an excellent uh, and, and fresh perspective um, on on discipleship and, and um, humility and pride and shame and with a with a side of um, you know, some psychology stuff in there. So I'm really excited to talk to, to Dan about that. 
uh, in the coming weeks, his his new book, Confident Humility, which comes out, I believe, in April um, with Fortress Press. And then we're also going to interview um, Bonnie Christian. She has written a book called A Flexible Faith, which I'm in the middle of reading right now. Um, and she does a, a really neat job taking sort of like the, the major questions that are debated in, in Christianity and sort of distilling down the, the major viewpoints to, to provide um, in overall things. So I'm going to interview her um, here in a couple of weeks over that new book. Um, and hopefully we'll have some, some other authors um, to, to talk to in the coming year as well. So I think we've got a lot to look forward to in the next year. I think so. You and I have a, we might say, a full plate ahead of us and a lot of opportunities. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, um, so this has been a, uh, a Christmas special episode of The Synergist, a little less uh, formal, a little less directed. Just wanted to chat a little bit. Uh, just once again, a, a huge thank you uh, to everybody who has listened and liked and shared and mm-hmm. commented. And um, for those who have uh, you know, supported us on uh, Patreon, um, uh, by the way, that joke's uh, aged about as well as this criminally bad elf. Uh, oh my gosh, it is so bad. I took it. I took it. It almost has like a grape, like cough syrup kind of thing. Like it's. Oh, oh gosh, that's bleh. funny. I gotta finish it though. I finished literally everything. I gotta finish this. All right, yeah, go, we, go we ahead. I'm, I'm gonna chug this while you you, you finish. Go ahead. All right. But seriously though, folks, um, thank you for this first year. Uh, it, this has been a fun hobby for us, but thank you for listening. Um, please, you know, we, any, any positive reviews and likes and shares that, that you can give, if you think that this is, um, helpful content that, that, that others would benefit from, we certainly think so, but, um, we, we can't do it without your help. So thanks to everybody who's listened a very Merry Christmas. We hope you just, whatever your Christmas traditions are, whether they are, um, you know, weird like Nick's or yes. uh, anything else. We're just <laughs> um, have a, have well, a very Merry Christmas. Whether you watch Die Hard or you don't watch Die Hard, just know that you're wrong for not watching Die Hard. It, even if you watch Elf, you know, there's there's grace and mercy. Um, so just thanks again for listening. This has been a very synergist Christmas episode, the Synergist Podcast, the most man-centered theology podcast on the internet by God's providence. Cheers and Merry Christmas. I finished my beer and it's awful.